I'm Annie Fitzsimmons. I'm your Washington Realtors Legal Hotline lawyer. And this is another video in our series entitled Perspectives on the Transitioning Market. And Shelly and I are very excited to uh, welcome back to the Washington Realtors studio, Caitlin Jackson. Caitlin, go ahead and tell everybody who you are. Uh, like uh, Annie said, I'm Caitlin Jackson. I'm an attorney. I practice real estate law um, with Dimension Law Group. Um, my um, main area of practice right now has been dealing with landlord-tenant issues, at least for the last couple of years. Um, so that's why I'm here today. There are probably a handful of lawyers in Washington State who truly embrace and understand the revisions to the Landlord-Tenant Act that took effect, when, what year was that, 2020? Well, there was many different revisions, but the was biggest one was in 2021, May of 2021. Um, there's so few lawyer really being a real estate lawyer no longer qualifies you to uh, practice property management or landlord tenant law if you are a lawyer who doesn't dig deep into the statute and truly understand all the nuances then then you're probably going to get your your client your seller your landlord client in trouble in the property management landlord tenant courtroom Caitlin is one of the very few lawyers in the state who truly understands the evolving landlord-tenant laws. And I say that because she was just telling us about a new decision out of the Thurston County Superior Court that changes the law even from, from what we thought it was the day before. So it, it is an evolving body of law and nobody is truly an expert because, because uh, many of our Superior Courts are changing the law day to day. Nevertheless, Caitlin, we asked you to come here today to help us talk about landlord-tenant issues in a transitioning market. And so the, the I wanna cover two broad categories. The first doesn't have so much to do with the transitioning market. The second one does. The first broad topic is help me answer the question that I get probably once a day at least at least two or three times a week from listing brokers who say, tell me the steps I have to take or tell me the steps a seller has to take to evict a tenant so they can sell their house. <clears throat> well, for the first thing is, is that you have to recognize that only single family homes under the new Landlord Tenant Act can, um, that include a tenant, uh, can you terminate that tenancy with 90 days notice for the reason that you're gonna uh, sell the property. Uh, the new statute requires at least 90 days notice. Now that's only on what we would consider a terminable at will agreement, i.e. a month to month agreement. You can't terminate a term lease early prior to its expiration um, if that's what's going on with the tenant inside the property. Uh, if it's month to month, it's at least 90 days. And there are some local jurisdictions that make the time period longer than 90 days. Is that right? I'm actually not aware of any <clears throat> local jurisdictions that have particularly made that cause longer, that timeline for that cause for termination. Um, but I know that other causes for termination of tenancies in local jurisdictions have been modified. So. Um, for example, I think you could look at even rent increase notices all over the state of Washington and in particular in the western side of the state. Uh, different cities are requiring extended time periods tied to how much rent you're increasing 
you know, the, the tenancy by. So um, hypothetically speaking, I think you can look at Seattle now has 180 days notice for increasing rent. Um, I believe Kirkland may have just passed something similar to that. Um, and as we work our way around the, the lake, we're starting to see all the cities take similar action. Um, okay. But with regard to that particular notice, I'm not aware of any, but it could happen tomorrow. Okay. So we have a, a seller who wants to sell their property. It's tenant occupied. What you just said, let's, let's emphasize that. If it's greater than a single family residence, so that means duplex or more. You cannot terminate that tenancy for the reason that you're going to sell the property. Neither side, right? No, the tenant can terminate. Oh, no, you no, mean no, the buyer no, or the seller? Neither side of the duplex. You, you, right. can't, you can't say, look, let me just terminate one side so that I can show that unit. Buyer can assume what the other side looks like. You can't, you can't terminate any tenant from a duplex or greater occupancy property for the reason, for the cause of seller selling the property, correct? That's my understanding. And if you look at the statute as it's written, it actually says single family home when it gives you that cause. So if it fits inside the definition of a single family home, then you can terminate for that cause. Okay, so let's say that the seller's trying to sell a single family home, tenant occupied, State law says it's got to be at least 90 days notice. Mm -hmm. Does this notice have to be set forth in a particular format? Does it have to have specific language? That's what's being sort of uh, negotiated at different levels and different courts throughout the state. The statute as I read it just says that the uh, landlord has to provide the notice that the landlord intends to sell the property. And then there is a um, specific there are specific details of a presumption that the landlord did intend or did not intend if they don't take particular actions after they, the tenant vacates. So an example there is a statute says that if the property is not listed on the MLS within 30 days after the tenant vacates, then that's a piece of the, the presumption there that the landlord did not intend to sell. So you have to actually take these proactive steps. Now, there are some courts and I will say individual commissioners or judges that are um, reading a little bit past the plain language of the statute in my opinion and requiring more information from the landlord in the underlying or what we call a predicate notice to say why you intend to sell or why you intend to occupy. Um, but because these are new laws that really just came into place, that's what happens when new laws happen. Judges interpret them differently. Commissioners interpret them differently. And then the way that that law becomes settled is it is appealed and it goes up to our higher courts where they make final rulings on these things. But that makes your client case law. And my advice is to never be case law. Try to never be case law. It's expensive to be case law. Very expensive and sometimes not in your favor. And you're sitting there for years with your property occupied when you'd rather be selling it. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So then, Caitlin, let's say that the notice is delivered, seller waits 90 days, tenant doesn't move, seller goes to evict the tenant, and the commissioner says your notice was deficient. Where in the process is the seller now? You have to start all over again. All the way back to ground zero. All the way no back to ground zero. No notice has been delivered yet. And that's hopefully if the commissioner didn't order you to pay the tenant's uh, attorney's fees to boot. Um, so, um, yeah, you have to issue, uh, hypothetically speaking, you'd have to issue a new notice that does comply with the commissioner's ruling mm -hmm. or the judge's ruling and wait for that time to tick again. Okay, so that's the form of the notice itself. 
What about the delivery of the notice? Does it have to be delivered in any specific way? It does. The state statute requires it to be delivered in accordance with 5912040, which basically says... RCW. 59. Sorry, RCW. Sorry. Uh, 5912040, which basically requires that you go out and hand deliver the notice or attempt to hand deliver the notice to the named tenant. Um, and if you are unable to, you can leave a copy with somebody of suitable age and discretion who resides at the property, but then you have to mail it as well from the county which the property is located in. And then if they, if you can do neither, you can post it in a conspicuous place, usually the door, and then also mail from the property, the, the, from the uh, county the property is located in. That's general, probably want to touch base with somebody about that. And there are some notices in some counties and cities, once again, that are passing additional requirements for serving notice. So you have to hit the state minimum, and then you may have to send it certified mail depending on the type of notice you're sending. So what what city councils are doing and what counties are doing are added on top of what the state requires and they're busy i'm sitting here with a smile on my face not because i think any of this is funny but because i find it so unbelievable just just to clarify why i've got this ridiculous goofy grin on my face as you're talking because it's still mind-numbing to me to, to hear you say all of these things even though i know these things um caitlin if the Commissioner or judge finds that the notice was served improperly, where is the seller in the process? The case is automatically dismissed for lack of jurisdiction and all the way back, back to pre-notice. All the way over again. Okay. Predicate notice stage. All right. So somehow the seller gets through this notice phase, they deliver a proper notice and they deliver it properly, and now they're at the point of the tenant not moving out and they have to start an eviction action. Do they need a lawyer to help them through that process? I would recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> um, because this gets even more complicated than the notice, right? It can, certainly. And there's there's ways to to delay if the tenant needs a delay reasonably or unreasonably, depends who you talk to. But um, you know, you have to serve a, a summons and complaint that meet all the requirements and you gotta serve it in the proper way and you gotta give them the proper amount of time to respond depending on the type of service achieved. Um, and then if they respond, uh, you know, you have to set a show cause hearing and um, the schedules, depending on the different courts, can vary pretty, pretty significantly. Um, some courts are only hearing these types of hearings on one day or two days a week on their calendars. So you might have to wait another three or four weeks before you can get on that calendar. Um, and then assuming what will happen uh, is the state now has a requirement that tenants who are uh, considered indigent and that standard is pretty high um, they are they have a right to counsel similar to where a, a criminal defendant would have a right to counsel so we now have attorneys that just represent tenants in um, eviction actions and so even when you go to court that will be the moment where the court will see if the tenant is there ask if they are represented and if they are not they will give them an opportunity to go be screened to be uh, represented by counsel that almost always includes at least one continuance of one or two weeks oftentimes it's more because the attorneys need time to analyze the case um, so you're looking at an additional one month two month maybe even three months um, and then on top of that even if you are successful let's say you walk away from court with a writ of restitution which is the court's order to the sheriff's office to conduct the eviction. Um, the sheriffs in King County are requiring 50 days, five zero additional days after you get your writ to conduct that process. So um, you're looking at what could be become a year. 
you know, I wouldn't say a year, but I would say you could get closer to, you know, four months before you actually, you know, after you serve the summons and complaint before you actually get your property back into your after possession. You serve, but you've already given, spent 90 days on the notice. Yeah. So that's yeah. three months yeah. and four months. And so we're at seven months already. And that's assuming everything goes according to plan, yes. right? Yes. That assumes you don't get to the to the courtroom where the where you've already had several continuances so the tenant can get counsel and they get counsel and the first thing they say is the notice was improper and the commissioner agrees and all of a sudden you're right back to the beginning of your 90-day notice period. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so brokers, when you ask me this question on the hotline and my first response is brokers should never advise their clients on this process. You should advise your client to seek legal counsel and then let your landlord seller deal with the property management lawyer, landlord lawyer to assist them through this process. When they're ready to hire you to sell their property, make yourself available to be hired to sell their property. But brokers do not give landlords advice ever about how to prepare the notice, what's required for the notice, how to deliver the notice, or how to even proceed through an eviction action. Caitlin, if the notice is improper mm -hmm. and a tenant vacates, what is the potential consequence to the landlord? So let me set this up. Poor Shelly. <laughs> Shelly has helped a seller prepare the 20-day the, the 20 notice. It's no longer a 20-day notice, right? But, but broker prepares a notice Maybe they even give 90 days notice, but they do it wrong somehow. But the tenant acts on this notice and vacates the property. So the state statute now allows the tenant to come back and sue for what is called a claim for wrongful eviction. Even if they left voluntarily, the claim is wrongful eviction. And the damages associated with that are any economic damages that person suffered from that process, from relocating, any non-economic damages from relocating, attorney's fees, and court costs. So let's say hypothetically they are moving out of the property and while they're in that process of moving, they slip and fall and they hurt themselves. Um, that's part of gonna be considered part of that claim if, if it was found that the, the notice was somehow deficient or improper. Um, if, let's say they have a couple kids who have to change school districts and they lose their IEPs or some sort of benefit that they received before and they suffer really serious non-economic emotional damages. I mean, those are all things that can go into a very, very steep claim very quickly, even if for all you know as the, as the owner of the property, the landlord, they left voluntarily. So brokers, what that means is that if you help the seller draft that notice to, to terminate the, le the tenant's lease and the notice is wrong, and the tenant leaves and then talks to a lawyer and then comes back and sues the seller, the seller is more than likely going to name you as a, as a hold you, to hold you accountable, not effectively a defendant in the lawsuit. Uh, and it's gonna be tough because the argument by the seller's lawyer is gonna be that you engage in the unauthorized practice of law. Brokers just don't advise sellers about how to remove a tenant from their property send that seller to a lawyer, you are not licensed to give that advice, and most lawyers are not competent to give that advice. So hopefully your seller goes to one of the handful of lawyers in the state who know something about landlord-tenant law. 
Anything else on this topic? I, I would like to say that I would I would like to challenge that most lawyers aren't competent. I think most lawyers are competent, but what they might be competent in is saying, this isn't the area that I generally practice in. Oh, I'm and sorry. I'll I give mean, you the name of somebody yeah. who does. Most lawyers are yeah. not competent yeah. to practice landlord-tenant yeah. law yeah. Yeah. today. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I will just say I, I hope that they just make sure to direct whoever is inquiring to somebody that does this on the regular now, because yeah. there's been so many changes. Yeah, I'm sure most yeah. of the lawyers could get themselves competent. They could yeah. study and become competent. Yeah. But there are very few lawyers who do this as a regular part of their practice. It's true. Yes. Okay, I thought we were gonna do one video with Caitlin, but I'm actually gonna say, let's terminate this video right here. Shelly, <laughs> this has been, you've been like a ping, you've been a, watching a tennis match in this in this video. Um, we're going to get you more engaged in the next one, uh, but let's break this video right now and then come back in a second video with Caitlin. And in the second video, here's what I want to talk about. I really want to talk about the transitioning market because Shelly tells me that we are seeing sellers who have the potential for growing frustrated as sellers who may want to either transition to being, pro to being landlords or consider a lease option vehicle for selling their property. And so that's what we want to come back and talk about in the next video. Okay. 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 If you have questions on any of this, uh, go ahead and ask them of me and I will probably direct them back to Caitlin because she is the expert in this arena, but you'll ask a question by visiting warealtor.org. Click the link for the legal hotline and ask me a question. Thank you for being a Washington Realtors member.